Since we got it wrong last time, 48. 48. Because then, uh, yeah, because New Breed will be 49. We're doing good. Yeah, well, we got to do it, though. All right. My name is Josh Alvarez. I'm Liam Madonna. And welcome to episode 48 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. Um, we've been having a really fun time doing this. I hope you guys have been having a good time in, uh, listening to it. Yeah, I, I want to um, welcome... I know we have new listeners. Hopefully, we retain new listeners after yes. the Joe Hardcore episode, which <laughs> has exploded. In, I, in, 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 in the terms of how our show does, it's exploded. Yes, indeed. But in terms of the, per, the personal... Um, people reaching out to me on account sure. of stuff that we've done sure i've gotten texts from various friends and such of people saying that they've listened to the episode multiple times really which is funny because it's not a short episode we've done episodes that were two hour episodes yeah and they, they've told me they listened to it more than they've listened to records this week why yeah which is pretty i mean that makes me feel good i mean it also makes me want to you know uh, people don't realize this we don't have a set time per se <laughs> no we just um, kind of go we try to keep it not too much longer than an hour and a half, but we could do a short episode today. Who knows? Maybe we'll go short. Yeah, maybe we'll do forty-five minutes. Who knows? Of high intensity, low pressure, <laughs> <laughs> which but, is how I like to live my life. So yeah, I wanna, I wanna definitely welcome a welcome new listeners. B thank anyone who shared the episode. A lot of people yeah. who have not shared our stuff in the past shared it. Thank Joe for being a part of it. I mean he has been since the we started this podcast he's been harassing me about it just making fun of it and whatever but i think once it was time to do it he like took it seriously and had fun with it and yeah. it was a good time it was and he promoted it too which i appreciate so. that's so awesome thank you so much joe yeah uh i also just since we're you know being nice to people here at the front um i was reminded so on the way to Josh's house, I stopped at Federal Donuts. Fed Nuts, what's up? And for those of you who are longtime listeners of the show, you know Federal Donuts used to be sponsors. Yeah, they used to give us free coffee and a box of donuts every time we did an episode. It's true. And they the only reason they stopped is because so the person who I was asking for that mm-hmm. left the company, but was like, hey, they'll still probably do this. Contact right. this person instead. And then I forgot. And then I saw this is Brian. I saw him in person, and he said, oh, yeah, no, yeah, just shoot me an email. This is my new email address. Email me, and I'll hook it up. And I just never did it. Well, So, uh, I mean, besides the fact that I need to do it just to follow <laughs> up, I just also want to say, in case anyone thought, like, oh, you know, they dropped Federal Donuts, that's still, like, one of my favorite places <laughs> in the city. And I recently, I don't know if you guys ever watched this, but I will completely cop to being one of these weirdos that watches Munchies. You know, the What's f- Munchies? Munchies, so here's the thing. Vice yeah. has a lot of shit. They right. have a lot of different YouTube channels. Right. And one of their channels is Munchies. It's the food channel. Is that the one on with Action Bronson on there? So he has a show on there called uh, Fuck, Fuck That's, That's Delicious. Delicious. Yeah. But they do other stuff too. And they do a thing called Chef's Night Out where they just go with famous chefs Ooh. and do a night out with them. All right. So there was recently a Mike Solomonov episode. Mm. And for those of you who don't know, Federal Donuts is owned by a collaborative of people connected to uh, the Solo and Cook. Who or I think it's actually Cook and Solo who owns Zahav and, and Percy Abe Street F- Barbecue and Abe Foreman, Abe, Abe Fisher, Abe Fisher. Sorry, yeah, Abe Foreman's the guy from that '70s show. Yeah, that's true. My bad. Yeah, um, <laughs> but they they own a bunch of places and they're going to be opening Rooster Soup Company soon. Ah, which is which in is, conjunction with uh, Broad Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I just think they're great people, and I didn't want uh, the perception to be like that we're somehow not down with Federal Donuts anymore. I just we are off. so team Federal Donuts. Yeah, and I, you know we're not quite. At the level yet where we can just hit up all kinds of random people about 
giving us stuff or <laughs> sponsoring us yet. I mean, that's our plan. We want to have sponsorships. And if you, uh, for example, I will endorse them, even though they haven't paid a dime to me. I will endorse not only Federal Donuts, but a friend of the show, uh, um, Ryan Ratajski, runs a little company called uh, Fuzz, Fuzz Rocious, Rocious Petals. Dude. That is my man. Is that he how is you say his last dude. name? Ratajski? Yeah. So here's the thing. I could be wrong. That's I thought I, it was Rayatsky. No, I'm pretty sure it's Ratajski. So here's really? the thing. You're going off the spelling. I am. I could not tell you how to spell the name. I'm just telling you what I remember from us growing up. So you may uh, not know this. I was on a little league team with Ryan when I was like eight. Awesome. Ryan's dad famously looks exactly like Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, <laughs> I don't know if he does anymore, but he used to look picture perfect like Jake the Snake Roberts. And he would take kids to the trunk of his car and say the snake was in the car. And he'd like open up the trunk and he'd reach in and pretend like he was like what? grappling with something. Is he the scare best dad the ever? shit out of me. That's amazing. And then Ryan, uh, people probably know him from some of his more recent bands, but he was in a band just out of high school, college, mm. called uh, Two Days Until Tomorrow, which is probably one of the worst names for a band in the history of music <laughs> but then they shortened it to two days which is fine yeah except for there were an ellipsis it was two days ellipsis which i guess right is, you don't like ellipses i guess it's corny now at the time i thought it was sick i was like yeah it's cool yeah. and i had a two-day shirt that they made themselves it was like the most lo-fi screen print shirt ever that's awesome i wore it for like three years like nice. i love that shirt yeah and uh and my appreciation for that band was just because those guys were great i love ryan he's great so he has supported cinepunks people who People who I've invited to my wedding have never listened to Cinepunks. Right. Ryan has been in supportive. So, uh, you know, check out Fuzzrocious Pedals. I, I really want him to officially sponsor an episode at some point. So that would we'll be amazing. That. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just wanted to be really appreciative up here at the front um, of the episode. Uh, there's also so you know, many people have been writing for us that are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Nick's uh, Spachek. Yeah. Uh, Nuthouse Punks. Yeah, Nuthouse Punks is the man. He just he literally just messaged me on my way down here to be like, I posted a new thing. Publish it whenever you want. Or so uh, Alejandro, awesome. just we did a new Films from the Void with him today. Um, Toy Adams. On, on Nightmare Weekend, right? That was yeah, the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Toy Adams did just one thing for us, but it's still doing well. Matt McCracken. Although, to be fair, Matt McCracken is a real stand for Batman versus Superman, which we'll get to in a little bit. Wow. So I don't know if I appreciate yeah. him as much anymore. But That's amazing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all that to say, like a lot of people have been very supportive of the show. Other people want, you know, our girl Jackie Sadakario wants to write. She yeah. just hasn't had a chance yet. Aaron Sanish wants to get on it, you know, like, so we, 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 we feel the love. Uh, and then a few times when we've been at Exhume event, events, mm. people have said people that they want like, to write. Yo, I listened, or not just that, but I listened to the show, you know, yeah. people buying t-shirts, whatever. So, um, I guess it would be good. I want to start off more episodes saying thank you to everybody yeah. also another thing that's been happening to me is people have been asking me like what do i have to do to be a guest on your show my answer to that is pitch yeah. us an idea give us an idea that you want to talk about yeah uh, episode idea we are open and we are receptive to all of it so i mean you- let's let's just lay it out like um one if you want to be on the show, it helps us if you know what you want to talk about. If you're just right. like, I want to come on because I like movies, it helps if you have like a topic. <laughs> yeah. Two, be patient. Uh, the reality is we already have a list of people that we're like have already thought of asking. Yeah. We um, also have a list of episode topics. Yeah. And so we're, we're trying to get through that. We're trying to schedule stuff. So if you hit us up today, it's like the beginning of April. We might not be able to get you in till the beginning so, of June. Yeah. And that's not because you're not important. It's just. Or you're not awesome. Yeah. It's we're just trying to play that. 
know. Yeah, we're trying to play this uh, in, intelligently. And let's and let's be clear. We want to do both sides of this. So doing a podcast, you mm-hmm. probably have two options. One is to book guests that are just your friends that right. you like to talk to, which is awesome. That's great. And the other is to book guests that uh, you think will get you listeners. They'll get you listeners. People, people will know who they are, yeah. and it's like, and they'll bring something unique to the conversation because of who they are or what they do. Right. We want to do both those things. So if you know someone who works in the film industry who's even a little bit punk, mm-hmm. perfect. We want to talk to them. Yeah. We want to talk about what they. If you done. know people who work in the punk in the punk industry, punk industry, <laughs> I like that. But don't really like movies. We'll talk to you about whatever, man. Just uh, if it's a good topic. If it's not whack, then we yeah. would totally be all over it. So I mean, I, I I will say we're a little picky in that you know, for example, we banned Sunny Singh. So there's that. Sunny <laughs> uh, just doesn't understand that like. The moment he stops letting the band be funny, it like goes away because then it's not funny. It's because it still gets under his skin that it's still funny that we still keep right. it up. But no, I mean, I would ask. It, I the only thing I will say is if you really hate movies, I would want to know why you want to be on the show. If it's just because you want to talk on a podcast, I actually think you could start your own. I mean, here's the yeah, thing: it's all we, DIY. Baby. Right now, we have three. We have three podcasts on our network. We could definitely host more podcasts. We could. The only thing that keeps us from starting just starting a million podcasts is that someone has to do the work. So no, we don't have the time. Yeah. So know. don't come to me being like, "I have a cool idea, but I have no." desire or knowledge to do the work that's not something that i'm stoked on <laughs> that doesn't get us no liked. no no but uh but if you're willing to literally do a good chunk of the work and then i'll make sure it gets posted and i'll make sure it gets on itunes sure and it doesn't you know it, this is cinepunk so maybe you aren't the most knowledgeable about movies but you want to do a podcast about Rock new bands roll. yeah new bands uh, in punk or hardcore or whatever yeah that'd be cool or if you just want to write about that again we're hosting writing so yeah. we we really want this to be an open thing for lots of people to participate. This is sort of the balance we want to want to hit. Achieve. Yeah, yeah. We want to be open and welcoming, but we're also going to demand good work. So right. if you want to write something and then you're going to half-ass it and it's going to be bullshit, I'm not going to publish it. Yeah. I mean, that's just we that's also, the only thing I can We do. also offer no repayment in any way. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> Other uh, than the dap of being one of the cool guys. Yeah, so to... go ahead and read what we've posted so far. That'll give you an idea <laughs> of, like of where, what, what kind of expect. stuff we're looking yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So all that to say thanks to everybody uh, who has listened, who's told their friends about it. Everyone who's been a guest, everyone and, who's helped and supported us. And for real, you know, rate, review, subscribe. If you listen to the show on iTunes, even if you don't listen to the show on iTunes, sign up for goddamn itunes <laughs> rate review go subscribe. on subscribe rate review yeah that like gets us that's the only way for a podcast to get acknowledged in the world it's unfo- true unfortunately right so that being said it's time for us to do let us move on yeah it's time for our first section of whacking on, on track. track oh so sick i like that when we did it so we did it for justin miller and he was like that was so lame then we did it for joe and he was like no that was awesome yeah you know i'm just saying it's pretty cool i like that it's a divisive thing yeah i appreciate that apparently looking at it happening is what justin had an issue with not the sound of it but you know either way i love justin so i do i love him so much so liam what have you done lately that is either whack or on track I, obviously, the the thing that I think we could spend some time talking about because we both did it was Batman versus Superman. Yes. Now, the the controversy around this movie has been raging for a while. Right. It's been a very polarizing film. Yeah. There was a post. Uh, you know, I only read part of it, so I'm not going to totally say what I think one way or the other. But there was a post on Birth Movies Death by Devin Faraci, mm-hmm. in which it it felt like he compared the the cynical version of Superman to like the death of God. Is how Whoa. it felt. 
Yeah, it was pretty intense. It was an intense sort of examination of Zack Snyder's treatment of Superman. Right. On the other hand, like I said, Matt McCracken, who writes for the site, I don't think he loved everything about the movie, but mm-hmm. I think he enjoyed it a lot more than the general geekosphere. Right. And he felt like uh, because he thinks superheroes in general are problematic sort of manifestations of colonialism in the first place. Right. Having a movie with basically shitty superheroes was like actually <laughs> awesome. And so he like, <laughs> he has a very complicated politicized view of it, which is right. whatever it is, what it is. That's what makes so, it fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I went in expecting either to be offended or like hated or just disgusted. Like this is going to be the worst shit ever. Yeah. Or to maybe not love it, but be like, Oh, you know what? I have a hot take. Everyone's wrong. <laughs> I realize now. Ah. So I went in and uh, yeah, I'm kind of ambivalent on the movie. I mean, here's, yeah. the, here's the thing. I don't, anyone who's like, it's shit from top to bottom, I think is wrong. There right. are, there are some parts and there are scenes parts, that are yeah. well constructed. I guess here's the thing. The way it was presented to me, I expected the movie to be a failure philosophically in the sense of like uh, people are so concerned about the portrayals of Superman and Batman in the movie. And while I didn't find the portrayals of either character particularly compelling, I didn't feel like it was the death of my childhood or some bullshit no, like that. Yeah, no. I honestly thought this is what I actually felt. It wasn't that well done of a movie. Like well, the I pacing was off. Wh- it, how do you feel about Zack Snyder is the issue? So... I like I like Watchmen. I, I, like I Watchmen will defend. Too. I will defend Watchmen. Yeah, maybe that's it. I mean, uh, I hated Man of Steel. I so thought this that is was awful. But here was the thing: I was watching it, thinking, you know, there are people who said, "Well, it's not as good as Man of Steel," and I will straight up say, I think Batman versus Superman is better than Man, Man of, of Steel. Steel. Why would you say that? What is your one resounding argument that would that would put this ahead? There was no. I mean, again, this is for me. But there was nothing I found compelling about Man of Steel. I felt like a lot of the movie hangs uh, in Man of Steel on two things. One is that I am connected to and pulling for Superman. Right. This was not achieved. And that uh, I find the story on Krypton to be an interesting take on Krypton. Right. And it adds layers. And then I am compelled by Zod. Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon as a villain. And I will say 100%, this is the first thing I've ever seen Michael Shannon in in you know, I've seen him and I've tried to search him out yeah. that I didn't like. I will take right. Michael Shannon and anything else on the planet over Man of Steel. Wow. Um, and granted, I, I won't say Man of Steel is like the worst movie I've ever seen in the theaters, or I'm not I'm not trying to say it's the worst, but I didn't like it. Uh-huh. And I actually think Batman versus Superman is better. I think um I like the portrayal of Wonder Woman. I enjoyed her. You liked Wonder Woman's uh, inclusion and the yeah, whole I enjoyed Justice League seedlings that were planted. Did you well, like all that? So I like Wonder Woman. What I don't understand, I can only handle omnipotent Lex Luthor if we're going with an actually competent Lex Luthor and uh, not Jesse Eisenberg riffing on Joker. Right. I mean, literally, Jesse Eisenberg's Dude, that Luther, was the most jarring thing of the movie for me. Like, yeah, I mean, let's be clear. The worst part of the movie is not the portrayal of Superman. No, it's, it's Jesse Lex Eisenberg. Luthor. Yeah, yeah he's dude, terrible. He's so bad in that movie. And I like Jesse Eisenberg. I, I mean, love, I, I think he's great as an actor in specific roles, but whoever, but the fact that Zack Snyder was like, yeah, play it crazy, like you're, you're a yeah, crazy like, idiot. Yeah, you know? no. Yeah. Doesn't work at all. If if we had if we were given the sort of and you know I hate to reference it but the the only place I've seen this get this completely right is the cartoons, yeah. the omnipotent smooth not omnipotent presidential it's more like omniscient the omniscient right. know everything planning for everything super smooth smart unflappable 
which Lex is what Luthor. Jesse Eisenberg was missing, yeah. that Lex Luthor would would actually have a file about all the metahumans and be thinking, okay, at some point this is going to be a problem for me, so let's start planning now. Yeah. I just couldn't accept Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor would have this file with this footage ready to go. As far as their portrayal, I don't, you know, there wasn't enough there for me to care. Like, oh, we got to see Carl, Carl Drago or whatever his name is, you know, Cal Drago or whatever, the yeah. guy from Game of Thrones. You get to see him underwater. Jason Momoa. Got to see him for like two seconds. It's not, you know but what I mean? I'm not going to lie. Those are cool two seconds. Yeah, it's cool. And, it's, it's, and it's like a tough portrayal of, I, of you know, Aquaman. Of I, a, I do think the more rugged Aquaman is, yeah, is appealing to me. Of the much derided Aquaman canon, I yeah. think that the rugged, yeah. almost Poseidon-like yeah. character is far more palatable. Flash guy, uh, the guy playing the Flash, I like that actor. I Dude, what about like the weirdo the Flash, Flash um, traveling through time to warn Bruce Wayne in his dream business? What do you think about that? So, let me get let me get let's get into the the rest of the movie um the two things i read a lot of was that uh-huh. superman was really bad the betrayal of superman was really bad not that the acting was bad on what's his name's part that henry cavill guy yeah yeah that he's fine but that the script the way superman was portrayed was somehow untrue or unfaithful okay. to superman which is not nearly as offensive as I thought it was in Man of Steel, but whatever, it, I guess it wasn't great. Okay. And that actually Ben Affleck's Batman was surprisingly great in a movie, whatever. Did and you I find gotta, that to be true? I got to say, no. I, yeah. I think Ben Affleck was fine. I don't think he was a bad Batman. I mean, granted, I have personal beef with Mr. Affleck, but still. What is your personal beef with Mr. Affleck? You don't know that story? No, I have no idea. Oh, man. Like one of my first days working at a register. In Tower oh, Records, did I did tell, tell you this, this story. Oh yeah, my yeah. god! Should yes. I recount it for <laughs> the, our listeners? Yeah, I don't think we've ever recorded you telling the story. Okay, so you should know there is a list of people that I have beef with, like our, our, our like you, like Professor X, famously James McAvoy. Fuck that dude. Recent addition to my list. We yeah. should come up with a name for my list. I don't really. I, I don't know. Josh's shit list will do it justice, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, ben Affleck, you're on my list, sir. I don't yeah. know if you know. Yeah. So I'll take you back to 2003. Yeah. Maybe 2002. So we all know. weren't even born yet. Yeah. So this <laughs> is like way before like typewriters. So <laughs> <laughs> I had a flip phone. Anyway. So um, this is when they're filming Jiggly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is also on the onset of the J-Lo Ben Affleck thing or Benifer or whatever the fuck you want to call it. I don't remember. You're jiggly, baby. Jiggly. Jiggly, baby. Go ahead. <laughs> so baby. I was working at Tower Records. I just moved to Philadelphia. I was like bummed, per, like pretty bummed. And I was just not having a good time. So my first day on the register and, you know, whatever. I'm like college grad working on a register at Tower Records, feeling some kind of way about my life, you know, just kind of bummed. And in walks Jennifer Lopez with Ben Affleck. Sure. Now, um, I was staying with my girl, Lisette Villanueva. I haven't talked to her in a long time. She's in California somewhere. I don't know. Hey, Lisette. Anyway, so we're sitting there, and she goes, oh, my God, there goes J-Lo. And I'm like, holy shit, it's J-Lo. Next thing I know, the pair of them, the two of them, the twain of them, walk up to me with $600 worth of DVDs in Ben Affleck's hands. Oh, yeah. All movies starring Ben Affleck. I still can't believe this story. it's the truth. I swear by it. (laughs) So I'm a sweaty guy. For those of you who only know me through voice, you should know. I'm a sweaty dude. It's just what I do. So now I'm on the first day of the register. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck are looking at me, and I'm trying to ring up $600 worth of DVDs starring Ben Affleck in them. Sure. And we're talking sliding doors. Yeah. We're talking bounce. Yeah. We're talking clay pigeons. Ugh. Like, we're talking, like, 
from I mean like Mallrats was in there too, which is like J Lo's never seen Mallrats. Come on, J Lo. What are you you're Jenny from the block? Come on, man. Anyway, not important. Well, it, to be fair, he might have been buying these to sign and hand out to people. Maybe. Maybe. But that's not the that's not where things it, you're not judging him for the no, DVDs. No. Listen, I understand. You gotta get your lady up to speed on your on your repertoire, right? I don't so think that's I'm what was going on, it. but keep going with the story. So anyway, so he signs the credit card slip. And sure. I, sweaty me, I'm trying to fit $600 worth of DVDs into a plastic bag at Tower Records. Sure. He then throws the slip at me. <laughs> Not in like a ball it up and throw it at me like I'm some type of weirdo guy. Just like flips it at me. And it slides behind the computer, which I didn't see. Thank God my girl Lisette was in the house and she saw it. So I'm looking back at him and I'm like, uh, where's the credit card slip, sir? And he's like, I don't have it. And I was like, oh. Oh, Ben Affleck with the attitude. You're on a list, sir. I did find it. I'm just saying. Lisa was like, oh, it's behind the computer. I was like, oh, it's sweet. And I gave him the computer. But I'm just saying, listed. I do I do want to say this beef is less substantial than your James McAvoy beef. I disagree, sir. Disagree. I think this is way less substantial than James McAvoy. Okay, so let's get let's get back to, back the, to, to Batman, Batman versus Superman. Superman. I, mean, I digress. I, I Here's the thing. The... I don't think his portrayal was that bad per se, but I don't think we're it, talking about the flashback though. Well, let me, I'll get there, man. Oh, I thought we would. Uh, and then I interrupted, but go on. No, 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 no. We were just talking about Ben Affleck and okay. his, because he was sort of people of, who have been commenting on the movie have said, well, Ben Affleck's the best part of the movie. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's fine. His acting is fine. I just don't, I just don't care that much, but yeah. I, I, I think his portrayal doesn't come over doesn't overcome some of the issues I have with the script, which is that it's really wonky. I don't believe I have trouble with a Batman who's supposedly a brilliant super detective, but doesn't quite figure out he's being manipulated to try to kill Superman until the moment he is in the movie, like in the movie. Oh yeah. I guess spoiler alert here. (laughs) Obviously they fight each other. Obviously Lex Luthor is manipulating them. Yeah. What's up, Justin Harlan, who knows that we spoil things, but go on. And uh, the moment where Batman realizes it, it just feels 10 minutes too late to me. Like, I'm just like, really, man? Wait, the Martha scene? Yeah, well, first of all, the whole Martha thing is the dumbest shit, shit in the fucking world. Sweet baby Jesus. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But that yeah, was I just, rough. I just think that... Why did you say that name? Again, that whole again, shit? Again, we're presented with... It, it feels to me, in this movie, we're presented with an uh, basically omniscient Lex Luthor. Okay. And a only barely holding it together Batman. Yeah. And that's not... the, the, the terrible reporter Clark Kent. Let's oh, also put that God, out there. Awful reporter. Good Lord. Uh, you don't know the richest man in Gotham? And, it's, and it is also weird. It is also strange to me that Wonder Woman is the only strong female character. Like all the other, you yeah. know, the mom... Uh, Amy Adams. Amy Adams has... Uh, what is... Lois. Lois Lane. Um I don't think any of them were particularly well done, strong women, and and all you get is Wonder Woman. Now, granted, I do like that they went tough with Wonder Woman. That Wonder yeah. Woman fighting. Sometimes when you see Wonder Woman, you forget that according to at least what I've read in comic books, yeah, she's an she, Amazonian warrior. Well, princess. she's really she her power level is only a little bit below Superman. Right. So they kind of show that in this movie where she kind of holds her own. Uh-huh. And I've Against. definitely seen things, I guess more cartoons, but I've seen things where she kind of like gets knocked out. And you're like, oh, come I on. I didn't wonder when we get knocked out. She's right. tough as shit. So I appreciate that. But um, my issue with the movie more is that whenever you see a movie this long, yeah. that feels like scenes are missing. 
that's, that's not a good sign. I yeah. mean, I, I guess the 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 generous thing to say is, well, it tried to do so much. It tried to fit so much <laughs> in. But it just felt bad. It felt like bad. The script was bad. It felt like yeah. the editing was bad. It cut at weird moments. Just the continuity was really stressed. Yeah, like, the, the really pacing weird. was off. Like watching, you're like, why is this happening now? What is this? The scene, when it cuts to the scene where Lex Luthor is basically pressuring this guy to give him whatever he wants. Feels yeah. completely out of context. How did we get here? Yeah. He, and then some of the plot points, the decision. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I wasn't surprised that that Batman versus Superman was not great. What I was surprised by is the moments that were good. I was like, oh, this is actually pretty good. Yeah. And then what I was surprised also by are the moments that were bad, why those things were bad. Like, why? Like, again, why is Batman. I guess we're supposed to assume that Batman Batman is now branding criminals because mm. he's so upset about Superman that now he's just going over the top. Like, what is that about? He's branding people? It's just weird, right? So and then strange. it's like, well, now they're going to get killed in prison because if they're branded, that means they talk to Batman. And I'm like, what? This I just don't think criminals are ridiculous. like doing that. Wait, so Tom got branded? <laughs> you think that means he talked to the Batman? We should just kill him. Yeah. Let's just no, kill him. Terrible. Oh, come on. And it then, doesn't dude, work. It doesn't work. The other thing that irritated me is like, okay, I think we talked about this briefly, about the fact sure. that we have to rehash the fact that his parents got killed. How many times do we have to see that? Nobody's and- going to watch a Batman movie and be like, yo. Tell me more about this bat guy. What's well, up with his folks? And not only that, it's so clearly borrowed from Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, which with Christopher Nolan. Is, well, not even just that uh, from the comic book. That particular sh- those shot, the way that they did it, yeah. is specifically from the comic book. And I got to be honest, like I find all of Frank Miller's work overrated. I mean, that's don't get me wrong. Is, is that one still great? It's great. Yeah. But is it so great that now every comic book and movie from now on has to, has have to that borrow scene from fucking fascist Frank Miller? Yeah. No, fuck that. The, like, other, the other thing that really bummed me out. Yeah. Jeremy Irons. Mm-hmm. I don't like this rugged Alfred. I don't like an Alfred that looks like a bottle of English leather polish. Oh, I'm okay with it. I don't care about that. Were you? You were okay with that. I was fine with it. Dude, it's like, There's never man. been an Alfred like he, to me, there's never been an Alfred that's exactly like the comic book Alfred. Granted. So every cinematic Alfred's going to be its own thing, and I was fine with this Alfred. You were fine, fine with the rugged Alfred. I literally don't give a fuck. Wow. He had an apron on, sir. That's fine. Okay. Wow. But I was. I was more, I'm more upset at the... The brief shot of Flash of like not what not, the not, fuck not flashback Flash I mean Flash in the security footage because Flash looked kind of like a mall goth and a ponytail I was, was kind of like uh, we're gonna go with mall goth Flash <laughs> I much prefer the TV you know crisp do gooder yeah. Flash too this, also this movie was written by the same people that do the Arrow. Really? And, yeah, it was written by the same CW team that writes for the Arrow and writes for the Flash, I believe. It's interesting because I feel like, uh, well, Arrow is flawed too. I'm not going to defend Arrow, right. but I do feel like a lot of Flash was better written than this. But I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this movie because the whole internet has spent too much time on this stupid fucking movie. Agreed. But why don't, let, why? Let's just say it's not to me. It's actually not the worst superhero movie I've ever seen. Okay, but do, where does it do fall me. in the in between whack? And on track. Oh, definitely whack. <laughs> okay, right. It's whack, but I mean, I just, I guess, I want to, I want to balance it because there are uh, 
literally hysterical fanboys all over the internet acting losing like losing their shit. Uh, and and here's the thing: is it as bad as Daredevil, like the original Fuck movie? No, hell no. I would say of the Ben Affleck appearances <laughs> in superhero movies, this is up there. This yeah. is pretty good, you know. But uh, is it great? No, it's not. Gr- one, obviously, it's not great. The it's, one review, it has huge problems to me. The one review that I read that I, that made me like be like, did I miss something? Was uh, our friend of the podcast Dan Tabor? He loved it. He loved it. And I was like, what are you? What did I miss? Like, what did I not see? I mean, like I said, Matt, who writes for the website, he loves it. Um, and I'm not trying to come at it. I, this is the other thing. I also don't care enough about it that I would like go to war over it one right. way or the other. But I just think for us, I'll just be honest. Like it, it, it. I was surprised it was better than I expected it to be. But, but at no point still. did I think it was good. Right. I'm with you. I, I agree with that. There were scenes that I appreciated. There were scenes that I yeah. enjoyed. But overall, man. I'll tell you what. Uh, if if it wasn't, I'm a little annoyed that what we've seen of the Wonder Woman cast is so white because. They're Amazonian princesses. Well, not even just that. So like not even just that the ones who are white or the ones who are mildly Caucasian in the <laughs> comic books are still Caucasian. But in her life, there are women of color. Right. She's trained and raised by, you know, in both flashback and appearance, there are multiple women of color involved in Wonder Woman, at least in the more modern versions, but I think even in some of the more classic stories. Yeah. And they're all gone. And I wow. and I and I I don't say that to say and I'm so deeply offended. But what I'm saying is that's to me the only stain on a film that normally I might have been like, eh, but I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of stoked on this, actually. Maybe did you, Wonder did Woman Did you like great. Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman? Did I you think, think she's she cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't see enough of her, unfortunately. I celebrate her in the uh, Fast and Furious franchise. Oh, fuck. Oh, she's wonderful God. in those movies. And but will, then again, what isn't wonderful in those movies? And I, and, I, and I will go back. The last thing I want to say before we move on to other things <laughs> is that um, I will say I don't think Superman is that hard. I mean, literally, the only decisions he makes that are actually bad decisions are already established a man of steel. Like already right. collateral damage is not his biggest concern. So you can't yeah. cry about that now. We've already established that in the other shitty movie. <laughs> and then he actually doesn't just try to straight up kill Bruce Wayne. It's not like he's just like, oh, I'll just kill him. Yeah. He tries to talk to him first and then Bruce pisses him off. To be honest, that's true to the comic book. Right. Bruce, Batman's constantly pissing off Superman in a way where he's like, God damn it. You know what I mean? Like, so that, that part's fine to me. I, I, again, is it my favorite portrayal of Superman? Hell no. The only thing good about Superman is when he has charm and wit and he's smart. Yeah. If you take that away, then he's just a big, strong guy. It's the most boring fly. shit yeah. ever. Yeah. Agreed. So, agreed. Whatever. Okay. Also, also random nude scene with Amy Adams. A little bit weird. It's, it's strange in this movie, but whatever. Yeah, it whatever. is what it is. It just seemed superfluous. It was like, why is this happening right now? Okay, uh, let's keep going here. Yeah, have, what you else? Se- have you seen anything on track? I've seen some amazing movies. I've Do seen it. some amazing movies. Do we it. saw um, uh, Embrace of the Serpent. How was it? I really want to see well, it. It is uh, done. It's a Colombian movie. Sure. And it, it was uh, nominated for an Oscar, yes, no, maybe? I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is that I saw the trailer at the Ritz, and I was like, I have to see this movie, and then it came out, and I saw it. So yeah. it's shot in black and white. Yep. Um, it is about the – it's about 
The movie is called from travel journals of German scientists slash researchers between 1901 and 1907. And it's about their dealings with um, the indigenous peoples of the Congo and the Amazon sure. and such. Sure. Uh, it's so beautiful. It's so far reaching in both scope and philosophy. Like it's such a wonderful movie. And um, the actors are so good in it. Like the movie, it starts with, um, there's this one guy who they call the world mover, the earth mover. Oh, sure. And he's one of the, uh, he, he's uh, one of the indigenous peoples. And a dude comes up to him with a white guy who's sick. And they say, we need this plant to heal this white guy. And he, uh, you know, he has to deal with his racism. He's like, I don't trust white people. Why are you helping this white guy? All this stuff. And he's going to bring death to us and all this. But then he concedes which, to helping him. Which, by the way, all sounds fair. Oh, I mean, dude. It, but fair. it's awesome, though, because, like, not only do they show that, but then they show, like, the rubber trees being extracted by, like, uh, industrialists and all this stuff, really hearkening to, like, DuPont and all that. Yeah, totally. And it's It's such a good, and, like, so... I don't know. It's really hard to describe without spoiling it. And it's a movie that I definitely feel is more of an experience than a viewing, like watching a movie. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, so, yeah. I mean, like, and for being like a non truly like, uh, not, I'm not looking for spirituality in movies. Sure. I'm looking for stories, right? Yeah. This movie has an aspect of spirituality that's very compelling and very indulging. Hmm. And it's, uh, it, it involves like, you know, there's, there's, dude, it's just so good. My suggestion, see it. See it as in, on the big screen. It's totally worth it. That's it's great. Such a good flick. That's great. So I saw that recently. Um, I saw that in the same weekend. I saw Se- Superman versus Batman: John of Justice, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty interesting juxtaposition of movie experiences. That's really funny. <laughs> but um, let me think. Oh, I, did we talk about the Terrence Malick movie? No. So man, we haven't talked in a minute, then, huh? That's okay. why I've been on your yeah, butt to dude, record, Yeah, dude, I'm man. saying your boy's been... Okay, so anyway, no excuses. I'm saying. So um, friend of the podcast, Mr. Joseph Gervasi, and I had a wonderful mandate. That, I appreciate that. <laughs> that started with dinner at Eulogy, and then we got ice cream, and then we saw Terrence Malick's Night of Cups, starring Christian Bale, uh, starring... Um, there's so many people in it that it's kind of difficult to say who's in it. There's just every, like everyone from uh, Joe Latrulio to... Uh, um, Pop stars are in it. I think Madonna's in it. I don't know. It's. Have you seen Terrence Malick movies? Are you down with Terrence Malick? Have I seen Terrence? Okay, Malick this movies? sounds ridiculous, but the truth is that I've. This is the only Terrence Malick movie I've seen. Are you full of shit? Right I'm now? totally being honest with you. I've How never is that seen, even possible? I have no idea. I've missed every single Terrence Malick movie up until this point. Then that's oh. the only one I saw, and it was a shit show. It was awful. I mean, like I get it. It's like this weird existentialist crisis of this sure. rich guy. Mm-hmm. That right there is enough for me to never want to see this movie. But it's all told in whispers. There are only maybe two characters of color in the movie. Mm. And they are sad caricatures of their cultures. Like there's one, the the young lady from um, Slumdog Millionaires. Oh, sure, 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 sure. And she's a yoga lady. Yeah. And then there's a black dude who I don't even know who he is. And he's a pimp. Like, come on, guy. And then, like, I don't know. The whole thing is just told in this really... I mean, I'm assuming this is Terrence Malick's style. It's a very wispy, like, fluid, like, going from thought to thought kind of imagery I mean, it's movie. it's definitely become more pronounced recently than in some of his movies. But, yeah, that's basically his style. And, yeah, man, dude, it's cool. It looks nice. <laughs> but, I mean... 
but still, I can't believe you haven't seen. I mean, I haven't seen this one, so I don't really have an opinion. But I mean, some of his other movies are amazing. Melani yeah. has seen some. She's seen uh, Thin Red Line. Yep, and uh, she's seen a couple others, I guess. I own. I think I own both Badlands. Badlands was the other one that Joseph told me. He was like, "Don't let this be the thing that makes you not watch Terrence Malick movies." No, watch in fact, we Bad should Lands. probably do an episode where we watch a bunch of Terrence Malick movies. All right, I'm into it. I'm into it. I mean, they would probably be older ones because they're the ones that I care about okay. more. Uh, whereas, like for example, the one that lots of people that the contra I, I guess the thing that sort of got people to talk about him again was Tree of Tree of Life. Life. And people have very mixed opinions on Tree of Life. Right. That was another movie that, again, I just missed it. I didn't see it, but it got... I like it, but I understand when people don't like it. Right. Um, but some of his other movies, I think, are perfect. Yeah, just perfect un- is the name. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. So, but again, uh, people I know who love him yeah. hated Night of Cups. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, it's just weird. Again, existentialist crisis of rich white guys is not anything that I want to know anything about. Hmm. I'm just not concerned at all. If it's and, done in the right way, I could get into it just because uh, a good reminder that um, being rich and white almost guarantees that you're soulless <laughs> is a good. I just like to be reminded of that. Like, oh, right. right. <laughs> yeah, you're, that's you're, a thing. you're an inhuman monster. I forgot. <laughs> Dude, even Natalie Portman was in there and she was like t- kind of just real disappointing. Yo, but what's the last thing you saw Natalie Portman in that was like a surprise? She was real good. She, you're just like, oh, yeah, Natalie Portman. That's why you're famous. Uh, wow, you bring up an interesting point. I can't think. No, of people just she the, the 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 gloss around Natalie Portman is just around is the that fact she that she went to Harvard. And she went to Harvard. Life. She's pretty. She was in Leon. <laughs> like that's it. Like and then and then we write her a pass for the Star Wars prequels. Come on. Yeah, no, those prequels were shit. She, okay, I mean, fine. she's done a couple movies. She's that stricken so from bad. the record. <laughs> she already was disappointing before Terrence Malick came to her. <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyway, so um. And, and then he, I went to the John Bunch Memorial. Oh, man. Let's talk about that Yo, for a moment. This whacking on track is going to be so long. I know, but it's so awesome. There's too Tell much me about awesome. the John Bunch. So I, you posted pictures from the more emo time. Did you go to the hardcore show, too? I did. Tell me Did about you that. know that there was a singer before Zoli Teglas in Ignite? Yes, I did. Know. I did not know that. I don't think I, I didn't know. I don't like those songs as much. Oh, though. my God. And I know that you don't because I heard them. And it was like, okay, Ignite's going to... Well, first of all, first band I saw was No For An Answer, and that shit was tight. It was awesome. I'm, I'm actually jealous of that because that band is great that shit was a good ass time and like you know we had like uh my friend glenn gubernat previously known as jersey shore glenn but now has since relocated to the west coast i got to hang out with him we got to see a lot of friends you know what i mean um no for an answer were awesome but then they uh they switched and ignite went on and it was like yeah original lineup 1994 ignite i was like sweet where's zoli teglas and then it was another white guy and I had no idea about any of those songs. I thought I was such a big Ignite fan. I was like, I'm not. Totally not a big Ignite fan. I mean, I've heard that stuff. I don't own it, and I don't love it. On the other hand, um, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings on Zoli anyway. So Yeah. Well, I, like, I mean, I, like I his, loved calling my brothers. I like his voice. Right. Um, he's weird to me. I have weird feelings on him. Yeah. But, uh, but Is it his chiseled physique? No, <laughs> that's a plus. I'm into that. That's cool. Okay, yeah. so what was after Ignite? So after Ignite, um, it was uh, I moshed because they they opened with Ash Return and I, I threw it down and it was a good time. But then they started going with these other songs. One of the singers they had come up had a lyric sheet. 
<laughs> I was like, you're not doing it for me, pal. I'm not, I'm not going to get into this. So then sure. I left and I uh, saw the Bronx. Bronx okay. are awesome. Okay. Do you like the Bronx? Are you a fan? Yeah. Yeah, I love that band. I think they're wonderful. Yeah. So it was good seeing them. And then after that, we saw Sam I Am. And uh, I love Sam I Am. They're still one of my favorite bands. Watching them play live is so good. Sure. So, um, you know, I caught them. And then after that, uh, into another play, and they killed it. And then it went into like the emo, like then we saw Texas is the reason. And then after that was Rocket from the Crypt. Texas went on long, which is kind of a bummer. Like it was cool. I'd never seen Texas is the reason before. So it was good to see. Oh, I like them live. They're fun live. Yeah, Yeah, they're awesome. Awesome. But they went on long. And as you know, one of my favorite bands, Rocket from the Crypt, only could play four songs. And that really bummed me out. But I mean, whatever. And uh, the secret is that I'm not really a Sensefield fan. I just went because Melani and a bunch of other friends wanted to go. So when the Sensefield set happened, I just hung out and uh, talked to friends and stuff. I didn't really watch. I'm I'm definitely judging you uh, for not being a Sensefield fan. Totally fine. Also, did you miss a course of disapproval? Uh, I did. God damn. Yeah. That was like my number one reason for wanting to go. I didn't. I, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I was never a chorus disapproval fan. <laughs> I didn't grow up listening to them. I mean, here's the thing. We, uh, as a show, regularly document your failures <laughs> in taste. So I guess I should be that surprised. <laughs> no, I mean, you talk about bands on here all the time that I'm like, oh, I just don't know. But I'm really surprised because that's, to me, that's like a classic, like, yeah, uh, all time band. I, I'd want to see them. I wanted to, I wanted to see, uh, what was the other band that was playing? There was a few hardcore Justice bands. Justice League. They canceled. Uh, no, I don't care about that. Um, <laughs> Outspoken? Did they Outspoken play? played. I, like, I, I like missed Outspoken. them because I was watching. I think they went on. They had two venues where the shows were going on, so you had to split your time between. Yeah, that I don't like. Yeah, I would I would have difficult. rather. I mean, I'm into mixed bills, but I'd rather them just smush them together. And if yeah. someone's like, well, I don't want to see Rugged from the Crypt. Well, fuck you. Like, yeah, just have it all mushed together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there were three rooms and two venues, so it was kind of difficult to navigate the whole thing with sure, the schedule sure, and everything. Sure, sure, sure. But, um, of course, it's not This Is Hardcore, which is the greatest hardcore punk sh- uh, show on the <laughs> planet. But anyway, not important. Not important. But uh, it was a really good time. It was a real moving tribute to a man who had affected many people. And so that yeah. was, ultimately, that was what was really great about it. Yeah, I, so, uh, I mean, here's the thing, is that uh, Sensefield isn't a band that too often, if you're younger, you don't know how broad an appeal they had. Right. I don't think they still impact younger kids as much as, as when they were you know, really active. But I think the variety of bands that played that really showed the impact. How far-reaching And not just of Sensefield, but just John, too. I mean, he had, because yeah. he had a hardcore band before that. Yeah, Reason to Believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lot there to care about. He I also think. was in a Further Seems Forever for a record. That's true. Well, yeah. and it's funny, because recently on a, a podcast I really like, Turned Out a Punk, they were talking about John Bunch, I guess this was further back when he first passed away, and right. they were talking. Oh, he was in Further Seems Forever, maybe, or they kind of knew, but they didn't know. And I want, and they were didn't really know much about Further. And I want to be like, you know, Further Seems Forever. The first record is just Strong Arm with Chris Carab on vocals. That's what it wow. is. Wow. I mean, that's the band. And then they had some lineup changes, but not that much. So, which also means it's the guy, one of the guys from Newfound Glory, and one of the guys from. Um, Shai Hulud and you know what I mean uh-huh. like stuff like that so um, I mean I think that band it, uh, again because of the kind of music they played it, we sort of put them in a spot where it's oh, like Christian. Oh, yeah, yeah yeah not even just Christian but even musically you know like yeah. 
if you were a strong arm fan, that doesn't mean you're necessarily a For the Teams Forever fan, obviously. Right. But the record that they did with John Bunch is a great record. I will yeah. stand by that record. You still like it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, in fact, I think Further really only has one embarrassing record, and that's the record between Chris Caraba and John Bunch. There was another guy. Yeah. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, no good. Oh, bad. Real, really bad, actually. That's funny. And the, wow. the one with Chris Caraba is just a time and place, John. Like, right. It's not something I listen to much now. But I think for what it was and what was going on at the time, it was good. Uh-huh. It's just the John Bunch record, because it's John Bunch, I think... It was it, so good. It's still... It's still it doesn't have any of the mistakes... Not mistakes, but you know, there's eccentricities to the sound of what was going on in music at that time. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Yeah. I think the John Bunch record has a broader appeal than the first record, is my opinion. Fair but. enough. Fair enough. One of the best things that happened to me at that show and at that weekend was... Uh, I got to see uh, old friends again that I sure. hadn't seen in a while. Sure. And I got to meet, uh, well, first, big up to my man Sam Venuti and to my man Glenn. This is awesome seeing you guys. But I got to meet Mr. Kent McClard for the first time in my life. Who's that? He is the guy who started Evolution Records and oh, used to write Heart yeah, Attack. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, to meet and to talk to that guy, that for me, I, I mean, I tried, you know, try to be cool. I'm not cool. Like, yeah. I tried not to fanboy that hard, but I totally fanboyed the shit out of him. So, did you try uh, to get some like rare evolution records out of them? No, I did not. Okay. I uh, I actually spoke to him about a project that I may or may not be working on uh, for Cinepunks. For oh, next yeah? Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was totally amenable to the idea, oh, which that's cool. should make you feel stoked. That's cool. So that was awesome. Anything else? Um, nope, that's about it. I don't have much of... I mean, that was really it for me was the Batman versus Superman. <laughs> oh, I, I guess I should mention... Oh man, we have not recorded. In yeah, so it's been really long. We shouldn't long. do that anymore. That's well. That's too why long. I kept harassing. It's almost been a month since we talked to Josh. That to is, Joe. That is some wild ass shit. I think it's like no, not quite a month. It's been three weeks since we talked to Joe. Uh, anyway, so I never talked about uh, movies and meaning. I went. Oh to yeah, that. tell us about that in Albuquerque. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I don't think everyone's going to think it's interesting. But it's it's like a film. It I thought of it more of as a conference, but it's really just a film fest that has more conversations, like more directed conversations than a film fest has, because it's not like a conference. There's not like a panel of speakers. With, yeah, you know, there was a couple of seminars and there were a couple of talks between movies. And um, if you want to check it out, go to moviesandmeaning.com. It's definitely. It, it's something that I think is, in some sense, religious. Uh, but the people who go, it, it actually draws a very ecumenical, broad group of people. And not everyone who goes is like strictly religious. But I think people go who are maybe more on the spiritual side. And the guy who, one of the people involved in it is Richard Rohr, who is this uh, Catholic priest. But he also does a lot with like therapy and therapeutic nice. practice and stuff. So there's a lot going on with it. I really more was into the guy who programs the fest, which is Gareth Higgins. I really like him. And uh, there were some movies we got to see that were great. Um, it was like what? What is like the standout movies? Well, so, uh, you know the you know that Koyana Skatsi movie? Yeah. That guy was there. The guy who made Koyana Skatsi was us. there. Yeah. Ha! Uh, and he showed his new movie, which is, um, what is that called? Visitors. Uh, so that was cool. It was cool to hear from him. Uh, then there was a few movies... There were some movies that were older movies, but I just had never heard of. So a movie called Good Vibrations. Have you ever seen that? No. Perry tweeted at me about it that he loves that movie. I missed it. it came out. It's old. It's like 2012 movie. What is it? Uh, it's basically about the punk scene in Northern Ireland. Oh. And it's a true story about this one guy. He's more of a rocker. 
And, you know, in the 70s is when the troubles basically heated up. Right. And so all of his rocker political friends dissipate. So he starts this record store almost out of eccentricity, and it's not doing great. It mm. just sort of exists. But, you know, people are more worried about getting blown up than they are about buying records. Right. But the only people who show up and patronize the store are these punks, and he doesn't know what this thing is. So he goes to a local show and realizes there's this thing happening, punk, that's like a generation below him, but he's like not too old to connect with. Yeah. And he just starts putting out records. He basically, this guy put out all these Northern Irish punk bands, and like, Again, it was so ridiculous that I didn't realize it was a true story until it became it. And they play the music from those bands. And I mean, in some ways, I got to say, like, fuck you, Gareth Higgins, because now I want to buy all those records. <laughs> I'm, I'm really worried I might develop a new obsession with getting Northern Irish. What but, kind of bands? Like, what bands do you remember? Um, I would definitely recommend people look it up because I forget the names of the bands. Right. There was a band called... God, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Uh, again, I had never heard of a single one of these bands. It's oh, not like, okay. it wasn't oh, this like... is a story of bands I know. One band that wasn't exactly from, because this was, he more put out bands from his town, which I believe was Derry. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that right? No, Belfast. He was in Belfast. Belfast. But he put out a band from Derry, and that band got big. They went to England. They were on TV. Nice. Huh. Uh, I'm sure they were actually the first band where I started to think, is this a true story? Because they played a song, and I was like, this song sounds like a song I've heard. Right. And then they show you footage. In the movie, there's footage of the actual band, not the people playing the band That's on awesome. TV. And you're like, oh, yeah. And I guess like he c- ends up connecting with John Peel, oh. and then he does like this big... like. Let's save the record store show, and John Peel comes to the show. That's awesome. And it's like a thing. Like, and I guess the record store still exists. Wow. Basically, basically, the record store. It's like this story about how he does this. It ends up culminating a story about how he does this big show to save the store. Then it's like the store was only open for two more years, and then it closed. Then three years later, it reopened. Then four years after that, it closed. <laughs> then two years after that, it reopened. <laughs> then eight years after that, it closed. Right. And two right, years right. after that, it reopened. And it, it literally it does that like a bunch of times until they're like, and now it's still open. And they show you a picture of the real guy. That's and you're awesome. like, holy shit, this dude has been trying to make story. it happen at his record store and with his label for this long. It's crazy. But I think the, 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 the point of the movie, the, what the movie tries to get across is what punk did. So here's the thing. I, I, even though I'm a pacifist, right. I'm not someone who looks at an armed conflict and assumes that both sides are wrong just because they're violent. Right. But what this movie really shows you is that even if one of the causes in Northern Ireland was maybe more just than the other, Catholics, uh, <laughs> the people who were actually doing the fighting were were thugs. They were basically gangsters. And wow. so what the punk scene did was if you were punk, everyone hated you. Uh-huh. No one stopped to figure out if you were Protestant or Catholic because you were a punk. And that's what made you an asshole. Right. And so the guys in these bands, they were Protestants and Catholics. And they just they just were in bands together because what yeah. mattered to them more was we heard about this music in England and yeah. we're going to do it for ourselves. That's and awesome. that it's one of the few places where by being a because a lot of punks think by being apolitical they actually build unity and I would say that's bullshit. It's definitely not but, right. But this is one of the places where that was true because the politics were so fucking poisonous. Yeah, and they're fo- they're so salient at the time. Yeah, that, so in your face, literally being like, we don't care about Protestant Catholic. We want to write a song about parties. And that was part that was part of his issue when he tried to sell this music outside of Ireland. Uh-huh. Everyone was sort of like, 
it's a punk band from Northern Ireland. How come these songs aren't about tanks and guns? And, and he's like, because that's their everyday life. They're trying to get away from that. Yeah. They're not trying to write political war songs. They're trying to be like, yo, let's have fun, you know? Yeah. And so uh, I, I think there was something magical about that. Again, it's a particular political moment. If you're in a punk band in 2016 and you're like, all I care about is fun, I'm a little bit like, oh, you're an asshole. <laughs> but I think in that moment, it was such an important thing that happened. And he accomplished so much just by tenacity and what now there's a dark side too he was not a great father and his wife kind of whatever and but the movie i think does a good job of both showing how he's an asshole yeah but by doing this thing he becomes a hero but that heroic nature doesn't wash away his problems yeah 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 yeah. so it was cool it was a really sounds like an awesome movie good vibrations i definitely want to watch it uh one other movie i want to hype there was a lot of movies at the thing, but there was one other one that was worth mentioning. This movie, it's a French film called The Family... Uh, the fa- I think it's The Family... Or The Bailey Family? The Baylor Family? Fa- Here, uh, uh, if you look at... Uh, I posted about it on the Cinepunks Instagram, right. and I will put it in the show notes. So regardless, it's a French family film played in at the Paris Film Fest a couple years ago. No U.S. release. No huh. U.S. release date, no distribution outside of, of France. Well, I think it had a little bit in Europe, but that was it. Right. This movie is fucking great. Yeah. It's a sentimental family film about a blind family, or blind, about a deaf family mm. who has one daughter who can hear and wants to be a singer. So it's difficult for them because they can't appreciate what it is she wants to do. And everything about it is corny ass, yeah. sentimental family film, except for because it's French. It's constant sex jokes. Like literally one of the opening scenes that lets you know that she translates for her parents is her parents at the doctor and the doctor's trying to explain something gynecological to them and she's having to sign what it is. And it's literally like, yo, put the cream on and stop having sex so much so that this rash will go away. And she has to tell her parents. And that's just the beginning of the sex jokes in the movie and other other outrageous jokes as well. I mean, it's not just sex, but the idea is that it takes what is very much a touching family drama only in the u.s when we say family what we mean is not just it's about a family we also mean it's palatable there's nothing offensive right. and i guess in france they're like no it's just a, a really sentimental <laughs> movie about families and families say outrageous things so this family's going to say outrageous things and they do and it's fucking it killed me. It awesome. literally is one of those movies where I was both emotionally engaged and I was getting like teared up and like, oh, this yeah. is really touching. And then laughing because it was so fucking ridiculous. Right. I loved it. I loved it. Sounds so. awesome. I definitely want to see that too then. So like I said, uh, I posted a few different things. Uh, you can also check my letterbox. If you're on letterbox, I, I reviewed a bunch Which of Which actually has an app now. Yeah, the letterbox has an app now. So I definitely recommend getting on. Yeah. There you go. It's a good way if you're a cinephile to uh, keep track of what you see. So uh, that was whacking on track. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna take a brief break. We're just gonna play a, a song or a trailer or something, and then we'll come back. Okay. All right, uh, to talk about Orson Welles. Orson Welles. This was her wedding night. Where was the man she had married? Who were these hoodlums? Older legs. Starring this on stage. 
outstanding cast. Charlton Heston. Janet Lee. I could love being corny if my husband would only cooperate. <laughs> Orson Welles. Co-starring Joseph Kalea, Akim Tamirov. With guest stars Marlena Dietrich, Jaja Gabor. What are you trying to do? We're trying to strap you in the electric chair, boy. Only the offbeat, original, creative powers of Orson Welles could bring you so suspenseful, so gripping, so different a drama of love threatened by vengeance. Mike may be spoiling some of your fun. Mike? My husband, yeah. And if you're trying to scare me into calling him off, let me tell you something, Mr. Grandy. I may be scared, but he won't be. Of a struggle between titans. You framed that boy. Framed him! of a manhunt like nothing you've ever experienced. You're caught now. I'm a husband. What did you do with her? Where is my wife? My wife! Every sperm is sacred is pretty good. That one's pretty funny too. Yeah. All right, and we're back. Here we go. Do you like Top. do you like when I use my radio voice like that? It's very uh it's very nice. All right, here we are. <laughs> Welcome everyone to <laughs> Cinepunks. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> so I'm here with my buddy, Joshua Alvarez. He is I and I am him. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. The, the, there's other things I forgot to mention that were also on track. The two things, real briefly. What? What? No, uh, no. Both of them are tattoos that I got by our friend Troy Souders and Mr. Jeff Miller from oh Eight Swords. God. Look those guys up, follow them, get tattooed by them. They'll make you beautiful. All right. That's all. Okay. So, <laughs> when me and, jo- me and Josh have not, as we've said a few times now, um, we haven't had a chance to get together to do a show in a while because we've both been busy with life. Yeah, I think that's true. That's pretty fair, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We've both had various things going on. Josh was in L.A. when I was in Albuquerque. And right. There's just a lot of stuff. So it's been a little bit. I, I don't even. I wouldn't even say it's been that long since we recorded, but it's. It feels it, long. Stuff I, has happened. I don't like being away from you for for three weeks. Oh, that make that. that hurts my heart a little bit. But when I hit Josh up, like, oh hey, we should really record soon. Uh, yeah. Especially because we have another episode coming up just at the end of this week. We have like three episodes coming up in short succession. For yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, you know, let's record. What do you want to talk about? And Josh was insistent. On Orson, Orson Welles. Now, I don't know about you. Let's start with this. What okay. is your history prior to this episode with Orson Welles? Your familiarity. <laughs> My familiarity with Orson Welles. This is going to take you back to uh, 9-11, 2001. Okay. <laughs> when I was living in Bayonne, New Jersey. And working for Mr. Drew Sifranco at Broadway Video, 333 Broadway, okay, Bayonne, New Jersey. Uh, it was a mom-pop video store, and uh, that actually is how I gained, if not all, most of, between Joseph Gervaisi and Drew Sifranco, this is how I learned everything I know about movies. Is that right? Yeah, because I worked at a video store by myself, right? So sure. it was me and him, and he'd be there in the morning, and I'd get there after school, and then I'd just stay there till like 10 o'clock at night and just watch movies and... Yeah, you know, it was a good time. It was a good education in film. 
Um, at the time, 9-11 happened, mm-hmm. right? And that was fucked up because I was stuck in North Jersey. They closed off the turnpike. They closed off the parkway. There was no way to leave the Bayonne, Jersey City area if you were in there. Sure. You were jacked, right? At that time, everybody rented that weird Orson Welles narrated movie about predictions from Nostradamus. Are you joking Dude, right now? not even joking a little bit. And they were doing that because there is a part where they predict death from the skies. And everyone's like, dude, that was in the movie. And so... Yo, ev- people predict death from... Yo, the, I mean, dude. there's only a few places you can predict death from. Right. This is what happened. I'm just letting you know. That's crazy. Further than that, we had to make a list of people who were in line to rent this VHS movie starring Orson Welles talking about people dying uh, because every, it was such a popular thing at the time. It was really weird. So that was uh, not my introduction, but it was definitely the first time I was like, Orson Welles, what's this guy about? Huh. Um, yeah, another thing is uh, the Buckaroo Banzai movie, which uh, listeners who've listened to the show, longtime listeners know, is one of my all-time favorite movies. There's uh, The movie is predicated on the whole uh, War of the Worlds radio show. That Mr. Orson Welles did, and they sure. said, well, what if it wasn't a hoax? Because, you know, they did the thing, then they said it's a hoax, but then what if it wasn't a hoax and there are actually aliens in New Jersey? Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, that was another time when uh, when Orson Welles came to the forefront of my mind. Hmm. So um, since then, I've seen um, a handful of Orson Welles movies. Uh, the Magnificent Amberson, this is one. I've seen, uh, of course, Citizen Kane, which was cited as one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. Now Touch of Evil. Um, a few others that I can't think of at the time, but... Uh, I did look into who he was because um, there's a pharmacist that I work with, this dude, uh, <laughs> and he's a huge Orson Welles fan, so we talk about it all the time. And he's given me CDs of his radio shows of, mm. like, uh, you know, we just talk about uh, his perspectives and, like, how he not only is an icon, but he's an icon because of his love of film, mm-hmm. which is kind of rare you yeah. know what i mean like that the thing that you're known for is your great passion and yeah. uh i don't know well i mean not that people there aren't passionate people or whatever but that his love of film and theater and production that's what made him what he is sure so that's pretty much my history with orson wells and uh did you ever see that uh orson wells documentary that came out just a couple years ago no it's called uh magician Magician was yeah, it good? Like the, I have not seen it. And who uh, who wanted, put it out? Do you know? I don't. I know it's uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Okay, yeah, for free if you want to watch it. I cool. it was at the reason I know about it is right when we moved to Easton, uh-huh. we tried to go to New York to watch movies because uh, we were like, okay, we're close to New York now. Let's try to get there. Yeah. And a couple of times when we went, it was playing, and I kept saying we should try to see that, and we just never got to see it. Right. Um. So when you mentioned it, I thought, I wonder if Josh has seen that. You know, and I feel like that would help. You know, one of the things I think the reason I ask about your your history a little bit is to put out there. You know, Orson Welles is one of he obviously is not a topic. He's a human being, but uh, he's a, he's a topic in film in that people care a lot and they have a lot of right. passion. It's kind of like when, when we talk about Hitchcock, right? We can never say everything there is to say because someone somewhere has more to say than we do. Yeah. Uh, and Orson Welles is of that ilk. Yeah. He is definitely a very traversed, like well-studied individual. And I am pretty unfamiliar. Um, my experience with Orson Welles was obviously, uh, Citizen Kane, yeah. a long time ago, 
because it was so important. Right. And uh, in to prepare for this episode, me and Suze watched uh, Touch of Evil, which I had never seen. Yeah. And Citizen Kane. And I appreciated Citizen Kane so much more now than when I first really? saw it. Wow. Yeah. I think when I first saw it, I watched it because I knew, oh, this is supposed to be an important movie. Right. But I wasn't really prepared for everything that's going on in that movie. Mm. Um, and and so I, I didn't find it boring, but I didn't care about it. Rewatching it now, I, I it, care was, about it. it was great. And yeah. Honestly, it's such a beautiful movie. It is. Honestly, Touch of Evil is a little bit more up my alley as far as yeah. the kind of movie I enjoy. Like, because you like the more noirish. Yeah, I like the pacing of it. I yeah. like how visually. The thing about Citizen Kane is, uh, granted, okay, so let's go ahead and say anything we say is just us. Because someone's <laughs> going to feel like you guys are. Like you guys have no idea. Right. You should call your podcast Movie Punks. Oh, fuck you, Justin Miller. <laughs> no, but I do think, uh, at least in this watching of it, I feel like Citizen Kane. They both movies are visually stunning and they do a lot yeah. visually. Citizen Kane, I think, is doing a lot more. I think with its visuals, Citizen Kane, that's part of the story, part of the yeah. uh, framework of what's being told, how you understand what's happening. With Touch of Evil, some of the visuals, if if it's communicating something plot wise or 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 thematically, I miss it. Uh-huh. I have I, I didn't catch it uh, in some spaces, but it but the visuals are very. I don't want to say they're they're they are engaging. Yeah. Uh, when I was looking on Letterbox, a guy like uh, is a professor. I think his name is ha- uh, Dan Hassler Ford. He's a film professor uh-huh. in Europe. Uh, that a friend of mine. I got connected with him, and he said the problem with Touch of Evil is that I'm paying so much attention to the visuals, I forget to pay attention to the plot. Wow. And I think that that's true. The visuals. It's not that the visuals are better than Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Um. But what's interesting for me about Touch of Evil is the style of the visuals. It is so, in some cases, jarring. It's so yeah. like, whoa, that it, I love that, actually. It's, mm-hmm. it, it is part of what's endearing to me about the film. And then it's also a really gritty, really sort of unapologetic yeah. story. It's very, I mean, it, it's, it feels rougher than some other noir I've seen. Yeah. You know? um, and Do I you know that. a lot about noir film or? No, I took an online, I took one of those MOOCs, you know, massive online course, whatever, um, uh, in film noir, and I kept up with it for a few weeks, and then work. It was just one of those things where someone pointed out, you can do this thing for free, and I said, I like free. So at first I started getting into it. I was watching the movies, I was reading the books, I still Uh have the books about it, um, and I just, I missed it. I couldn't keep up with it. With work and and everything else. And so... I know a little bit about film noir from that. Um, obviously, I've seen certain things that people certain recommend. touchstones like the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, you know, but you know, film noir. If that is your thing, you yeah. go into that the way that me and you go. You know, someone was talking about cinepunks to me, and they were saying like, I find it really interesting, even if I don't know as much about the music. And I and in my brain, I go. We don't get that deep with music, do we? And then I, if I go back and listen to it, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah we, we kind of do. do. Yeah, and I don't, I know that's not what the show is about, but that's who we are. Yeah, and we don't go as deep as like turned out a punk. Like right. you can't even listen to Damien Abraham unless you know Japanese Seven Inches from whatever. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Uh, but the the point of that being is that um, I don't go deep with film noir. I can't say like I'm a film noir fan because I know that there's a depth to it that you haven't achieved. Yet. I can't even get close to it. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could say for the next year, I'm just going to watch film noir, and I would, I'm sure I could learn and yeah. get into it. But uh, I'm just not there yet. Right. So, um, like I said, 
my experience with Orson Welles was Citizen Kane, mm. and then of course the Transformers movie, where he is the voice of, <laughs> of Optimus or uh, no uh, Ultron. Ultron. No, no, that's a Marvel. No, no, no. He's the voice of a uh, what is the name of it? Leader. Uh, 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 Unicron. Unicron. The the, he- the giant head. Unicron. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And I've I've of course watched the the commercial where he's just being mean the whole time. Oh God, I've that's such that a, a few douche times. chill to watch. Yeah, yeah. and I've it's watched a, a couple movies. There's a movie by uh, Richard Linkletter mm. about. Not just about Wells, but about his theater company. Oh, I forget what it's called. I've seen that, but a long time ago, so I don't remember much about it. Um, I, I, in fact, when I saw it, I didn't know it was a Richard Linklater film. I only found out I, I watched a documentary on Richard Linklater, and I was like, "Oh, I've seen that movie." <laughs> <laughs> so all that to say, I'm also pretty unfamiliar with Orson Welles. So right. rewatching these movies, I started. I probably should have started with Citizen Kane and then done Touch of Evil. Yeah, I started with Touch of Evil just because it was an hour and a half, as opposed right. to the two hours of Citizen, of Citizen Kane. Kane. Um, but man. How fucking great is Touch of Evil? It's so good. It's such a good movie. There's another cut of it. Did you see the hour and 58 minute? You saw the hour and a half cut. I saw the hour and a half cut. I should have yeah. watched the hour 58, huh? The hour 58 um, cut of the movie is interesting in that. So the thing about Touch of Evil and the thing that uh, Dennis, my friend at work who I talk about this stuff with, sure. um, is that he gave me a copy of the movie that has both versions of it. Okay. But also comes with the 58-page note that he wrote to the oh. editor concerning the editing of the movie, which is why it looks... I mean, it didn't. they didn't do it the way he wanted to. Okay. But just to see his process when you read through the memo... Sure. It's a booklet. It's a 58-page booklet. Did you read it? I did. What it's, did you think? It's intense to see how deep into the minutia he was dialed in. Sure. Which, I mean, I, I don't know how to direct a movie. I've never talked to a director that made a movie like this. So I don't know what like what I degree mean, to which your engagement in this process would be as a director. Yeah. But... Orson Welles was way into this thing. Can you give some examples? Can you think of anything? Uh, it's kind of hard to say outside of the context of just reading the thing, which is online and all that stuff. You can you can definitely read it. Okay. It's cool to see, though, just that the uh, it's like how we talked about with Pavich about uh, Jodorowsky. You gather your forces and you go 110% for what you want. Yeah. And that touch of evil represents that for Orson Welles, in my mind. I mean, like, granted, he's had, like, those great, movies beforehand but i mean dude this movie to him was such a conclusive vision hmm. that it made him insane what do you think is the major difference between the um longer cut and the shorter cut the longer cut has more of the family the the bad guy family sure and um it's more the the 20 minutes that they cut were more like um I don't want to say comedic relief, but that's kind of what it was. Like just a little bit lighting, lightening of the tone hmm. with the guru. What's the name of the family? Uh, the starts with a G. Yeah. The grand. It's not the, the grandy, the grandy family. Yeah. 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 The grandy family. So um, what do you think about Charlie Heston in there as a uh, Vargas? I, I mean, 100% the only part of the film that, I don't love is Charles Heston as a Mexican. Yeah. That's not my favorite, but to be fair, it seems like there's no actually Hispanic people in the movie. Like the yeah, granny family, like the w- thug guy, the one thug guy, 
Yeah, that's true. But and a lot of the Grandy family was uh, white folks. Uh, Middle Eastern, actually. Really? Yeah. What do you think about uh, Marlene Dietrich in this movie? Great. Did you do you know about Marlene Dietrich in any way? All no. I know is that a lot of people loved her in my high school. That were like, is that right? Yeah, a lot of people who were like the dramaturgs were like, oh, just like Marlene Dietrich, and then she gets mentioned in a Madonna song, and everyone like loves her. No, I don't know much but about her. I don't know anything about her other than that she. This was is a, probably a good example of an episode we should have done a little bit more research on. Well, but, no, but I mean, like, how how deep into the spider hole are you going to go? You know what I mean? Like, there's I mean, no. I, th- I think we can go pretty deep. <laughs> in the sense of like you know for a case like that we could at least do like the wikipedia page for her right right have right. some notch but honestly like i think we um we're coming in just kind of being like you know let's talk about the experience of watching these particular movies fair and enough like that but yeah i mean i feel bad because i feel like someone's gonna be like oh you don't know about Marlene yeah Dietrich? you guys are idiots which yeah. you know that's a lot of what yeah, goes yeah, on yeah. in my head anyway so yeah, that's true, that's true. <laughs> yeah, um, such an idiot. but no i i really i thought um Jaja Gabor in the little bit parts oh, in there. So weird. I mean, all man. the performances are great. Yeah. Uh, I love Orson Welles taking on the um, grotesque, you know. Yeah, that he, uh, that was a 20 pound makeup edition on him. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, because uh, he was, uh, he was made up to portray someone 20 years older than him, who he was. Oh, wow. So he, uh, that was all prosthetic. And wow. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Which I mean, is pretty wild considering how big he did get eventually. And you're like, oh, he did turn into that guy. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Well, I mean, makeup is definitely, I will say that his appearance in both Citizen Kane and this movie is crazy. Like, yeah. the stages of Citizen Kane, there's it's only when he reaches extremely elderly, like when Kane is like really old. Yeah, you know, he's got the, look at the, all that makeup, whatever. Yeah, all but, the, like the but lines some of the older stuff, stuff. I mean, the transition from the young Kane yeah. to the like more adult but not yet middle aged Kane, it's seamless. And it's yeah. I'm watching it being like, how did they fucking pull that off? Because so it just awesome. feels you know oh, unbelievable. So in this movie, I knew that that some of that was prosthetics, but I didn't yeah. know because again, as older people and you know, after Touch of Evil, it doesn't seem like... I mean, he definitely kept doing movies. There are uh-huh. movies that came out after Touch of Evil, but they're so hard to find. He couldn't get distribution for them, yeah. but they just didn't hit as much. So I think for us, you know, my image of Orson Welles is the later, fatter... Angrier, so, weirder. Yeah, angrier, yeah. mad at the world, wearing a funny hat yeah. dude, you know? Right, right, right. Which is... It makes me so sad to realize that's my image of this man, and that through... As far as I can tell, I mean, I guess in some ways he was that man. So I guess I can't mm-hmm. say no fault of his own, but I can say like it seems as if he continued to try to make movies. Yeah, and I just haven't gotten to see them. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, so, I haven't seen them either. Touch of Evil. The thing everyone talks about is that opening cinematography, the, op- the opening dolly shot. Yeah, man, that, man, that shit crazy. is awesome, dude. It's so good. It's like it's such a cool thing to watch. And to think about the process that went into making that. I mean, I kind of think that's also the thing that people talk about with Citizen Kane, too. Not so much that specific scene, but just his angles and his whole cinematography. And Sure. There's and a everything. lot going on in Citizen Kane with the lighting. You yeah. Know, what, what things are lit and what, which things aren't. Yeah. Uh, and the interplay between the two. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah. Um, the uh, A lot of the, you know, there's a lot of... Um, things in the foreground, people in the background, you know, yeah. just the, the framing of uh, a bunch of the shots. Um, even just little things like the the people who are doing the newsreel who are trying to find out about Rosebud. Yeah. You, like, never see them. They're always in the shadow, you know, and... So cool. Yeah. I, there, there's a lot of aspects like that, and I think 
the thing about Citizen Kane is there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. People have made whole careers on that. But, that movie. But it's so affecting. I guess I there, there are films that I've watched that have that level where people are writing about all the different aspects and I watch it and it's not effective. The thing about Citizen Kane is I don't know that I'm intellectually picking up on all the details, yeah. but they're affecting me. I don't feel like it's over my head. It's not. It doesn't feel like... Sometimes when you talk about the techniques a director puts in as far as... Um, representation or mm-hmm. themes they feel like tricks they're like sleights yeah. of hand like oh if you didn't notice it yeah, yeah. this is the thing it's but the citizen kane is effective and yeah I, I, which isn't to say touch of well, evil isn't effective no, touch of evil is awesome th- but for citizen kane being what it is it's still totally tangible yeah and that was what's the most compelling thing about that movie yeah that you can grasp it like i'm an idiot like when it comes down to stuff i never took a class i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about you know what i mean but watching it, I feel like I'm right there. I feel yeah. like all that intertwining story is there, and I'm getting it. Yeah. Which, I mean, like, if you compare that to watching, like, an Ingmar Bergman movie, if you watch, like, you know, The Seventh Seal or whatever. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's all there, but will I get what was intended? I don't even know. You know uh, what I mean? I d- like, I, I've, I've definitely spent a little bit more time with Bergman. Um, yeah. So there's a couple things I do, like... uh you know, through Glass Darkly, yeah. I've watched a few times, and I've talked about it sort of in depth. I love that movie. But Wild again, Strawberries is another one. But but again, I mean, the question, the, the thing for me with watching Citizen Game this time is I wasn't actually, I wasn't trying to figure it out, quote unquote. I wasn't right. trying to say, oh, well, so he's doing this with the shading. Mm-hmm. What, You're what just trying represent? to take it all in. I was just trying to take it all in because I, I, the last time I watched it, I was probably like 20 years old. I don't think I was old enough to appreciate it. Right. And so watching it this time, I was like, God damn it, this movie. <laughs> and again, um, uh, I would really like to see the longer version. I mean, I think part of the reason Touch of Evil was easier in some ways is, you know, I'm on a time schedule and it's shorter. It's a short runtime. But I think it's also, for me, oh man, Touch of Evil is so dark in some ways. It is. It's so weird in the that, way that it plays out. You know, the end sequence... Uh, on again, the bridge and all you that. You know, spoilers. If, I don't know why. Touch of Evil, come on. <laughs> 1958 uh, yeah, movie we're going to spoil right I now. I know, but on the bridge with the <laughs> wire where he's like chasing him through the water, like yeah, everything about that. It's and, so tense. And Orson Welles' performance, I, I just think everything about his performance as the detective is like perfect. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, again, I don't, though all the visuals are very arresting, I don't, see the technique as much with citizen kane even not thinking about it the technique comes across to me ingrained in it yeah uh with touch of evil again this is just my uh, feeling is it feels more fluid it feels less obvious uh, less academic almost in a way yeah and uh more like uh reactionary more like uh he's going for an emotional response yeah so um yeah i definitely feel that too i thought man that end scene is so good it really, really is. Even though, like, you know, I don't like the whole shooting and then dying thing that happens with uh, the other cop, the third guy. And he's like, bang, and then he dies. Like, that kind of bummed me up. But, I mean, like, you know, it's almost like a deus ex machina kind of moment, you know? Yeah, I mean, it worked for me. I, <laughs> yeah, no problems with it. No. It's totally fine. cool with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot there um with like when charlton heston just immediately gets in the car and goes off yeah that was really interesting for me um yeah the whole ending was i just thought it it, it was an interesting turn yeah the the uh 
the night manager. Dude, if you read the IMDb page on the movie, yeah. they talk about that night manager character a lot. Oh, really? <laughs> it's really weird. Like they, Orson Welles wrote a whole backstory for him. Oh, wow. And as to why he acts the way that he acts. And sure. it's really strange because it's like, yeah, you know, he's like kind of like weird religious guilt over sex and, you know. Yeah, exactly. Janet Lee is so beautiful in this movie and it makes him weird and that's why he's weird. And like, just. I mean, that definitely comes across. I mean, it, it very intensely comes across in the movie yeah. without naming it. Like, it's right. very effective in how it comes across. Why he needed that detail, I don't know that I. I figure that out <laughs> but yeah it's so powerful though like every it, it's one of those movies that when it first starts it starts with that majestic you know crane dolly shot dolly yeah. shot whatever um it doesn't there's something so hollywood about that yeah that i don't know that it prepares you and even like the style of speech is in a certain way where mm-hmm. it, it doesn't prepare you for how how gritty the rest of the movie is yeah and I don't mean that as a negative. I mean, I think that's one of the strengths is yeah. that it, it has all that going on. And then, of course, the script is perfect. The, <laughs> I mean, even even with Charlton Heston, I don't love his... Uh, I don't love... He's also in the IMDb page. It says that him not doing a Mexican accent for that role is his biggest regret in his career. What? Really? That's what Charlie Heston said. But then you don't get you don't get the law. I mean, but that allows for Orson Welles' character to be like, he doesn't sound like a Mexican... <laughs> I mean, all of the subtle racism coming off of Orson Welles, and and that's all intentional. Like, yeah. I don't think, honestly, watching it, uh, I can't think of another film that early on, yeah, portraying racism that. against Hispanic people. Yeah, I can't. I don't know of any, no. and I don't think that that is. We're talking 1958 too, dude. Yeah, like, this is before the 60s. Everything about this movie is for me. I, and again, we don't. I don't. I, I mean, let's name our weakness. I don't think either one of us are huge. 50s film fans. Yeah, we, we don't, don't have. I mean, have you seen like all the touchstones from that time though? Have you no, seen Gilda? Not. Have you seen like no. uh, Attack? Like all those movies? No. No. Wow. I, See, I have a very limited 50s film repertoire. Right, right, There's right, like right, a few right. I've seen because they were almost like I had to, you know? Yeah. But I haven't, de- I haven't, I haven't delved into that era of Only filmmaking. a few, only a Phil, a few nor from that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Let me think. Uh, Casablanca is 50. I don't know, actually. It's, is it in the 50s? I think is it, it is. For, is it 40s? No. Um, we'll do a little. To the Hall of Records. But yeah, I mean, I think, so saying that is what I'm trying to say is that uh, of the movies I've seen from that decade, mm. this stands out to me. Uh, no, Casablanca is 1942. Holy uh, shit. Way off. Yeah. Fuck, God, fuck idiots. Me. But I was also thinking of, hold on, let me check something else too. Oh, On the Waterfront. So uh, I'd, say the, movie. I'd say before uh, before Touch of Evil, On the Waterfront might have been the only movie from the 50s that I've watched multiple times and I've gotten really into. Yeah. I can't think of another 50s film. And again, I could be wrong. I uh, I'm not gonna like stick to my guns on that one but i know that neither one of us when we're listing off like these are my favorite movies of all time yeah yeah we don't have a lot of i guess even uh eyes without a face it was filmed i think they started filming before 1960 but it didn't come out till 1960 right. so i think that's more of a even though it was filmed in the 50s i think you have to consider it a 60s movie in in some sense rebel but, without a cause 55 no in fact i would say uh what's his uh um, james dean james giant dean, i would say that's 
one of the bigger holes in my filmography, you know, in my own yeah. sort of film viewing is James Dean. I don't know anything about him. Right. You've um, never seen Giant? No. Giant's an amazing one. Um, well, Rebel Without a Cause, I kind of don't like. I think it's kind of a stupid movie, but that might just be me not being smart again. <laughs> so, but uh, as far know. as 50s movies go. I just think I, I, I just really are aesthetic fits yeah. really well into the later 60s through the 70s, I feel. Yeah. Even more for me because you love exploitation. You're movies. a little less stoked on exploitation, whereas yeah. I could I could really spend my time between 68 and 84. And just <laughs> there's so many things between those years I just want to see over and over again. Right. You know, that right. it's hard for me to then be like, no, let's go watch something from the 50s or the 40s or whatever. You know, like that's <laughs> a difficult thing. And again, that's not to uh, put anything. If you are someone who loves classic film, and I would really say that's, you know, those are the years, then talk to us, man. Good for you. Like, Let us no. know. And I, I also think that's true. That I, I think we could both spend more time. Well, your eyes aren't working, but no. for, for eyes are fucked up right now. But assuming your eyes start to work again, I've been eating blurry food all week. Yeah, assuming your eyes begin to function again and, and you can read. <laughs> yeah, I think we could both do a little more reading, specifically about Orson Welles and, and yeah. other people. So if you know of, uh, well, what do you think uh, Orson Welles' influences on film that we do like? Well, Touch of Evil, I think is huge for a lot of movies that we like it's so and i knew that before even watching it it's one of the movies that was on my list of a lot of people reference this film and i don't just mean technically i think you could if you're watching the dolly shot right right you're and you're a modern film fan you're thinking of all the movies that have ripped off the dolly shot right but i don't just mean that i mean even the um aesthetics of the movie the portrayals of the characters the sort of i mean all noir there's no like uh shiny heroes in noir films anyway. Right. But Touch of Evil, it it's something... I mean, I guess the thing with Touch of Evil is that it is not in some ways a noir film. It is a noir film, but it also feels like it transcends the genre in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I think it has a broader it has a broader impact than some other classic noir films. You yeah. Know? Um, that being said, it's difficult. I don't think either one of us have that kind of like quick draw brain where we can just go like oh this is definitely like this or this or this yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I think it's there for sure it's that, in the dna of a lot of modern movies yeah I feel. Is this touch of evil specifically yes 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 it's it's definitely in a lot of movies that we like and i think that um a lot of directors that we like touch on him as like one of their main influences i mean how amazing is the the scene um when he is framing uh the guy with the shoebox no, 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 no. When he's when he that scene's unbelievable. But I mean, yeah. visually speaking, I, I think I'm thinking of camera work right now or editing as well. Uh, the scene where he murders uh, uh, Grande, yeah, um, in an effort to frame uh, Charles Tanston's wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That so scene is intense. unbelievable. Like watching it, I was like, yeah. "This is perfect." Dude, just the done. shot from under the bed of the gun into Grande's oh face. My God. So brilliant. It's yeah. such a wonderful scene. And again, uh, and I don't mean this as a critique of Citizen Kane, but it, it, it also feels more subtle. Like all the cuts in that scene, the way it's put together, yeah. it's so more functional. Mm-hmm. Citizen Kane feels more epic. It feels like a little more grandiose, whereas yeah. Touch of Evil works within the genre it's in, but it transcends it both in its impact and in the skill with which it is put together. It feels like to me. You yeah. Know? And again, this is a, a you know, 
we got to stop saying caveats. It's hard not to caveat, <laughs> not to constantly be like, "Sorry, guys, sorry, guys," because we we're taking on a big thing right now without having done our research. But but I think you know it, when you said it, I was kind of like, "Well, I've been wanting to watch." You know, I haven't Evil anyway. Yeah. I've been wanting to watch Church of Evil. I haven't returned to Citizen Kane in a while. Um, oh man, it's so huge. But I guess for me, and maybe this is my problem, is I'm. I very much focus on missed opportunities. That's like a thing I yeah. think about a lot. So, you know, I want more Orson Welles after Touch of Evil, which yeah. it exists. Like, I don't think it's not like he never made any movies, but you know, but what, nothing as grand. Have you seen anything? No, you know no. what I mean. And I, yeah. I don't. I I don't know a lot of people who aren't uh, devoted Wells fans who could easily say, Oh yeah. After touch of evil, yeah, there's a, this and this and this. I'll yeah. have to hit up Dennis from pharmacy. Yeah. But I want, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, it's also, I think one of the bigger, uh, influences is, uh, that he is influenced anyway. That's been important to us is, uh, um, well, magnificent Ambersons is the template that, um, Royal Tannenbaums was built on. Sure. And Wes Anderson, like, cites, like, a huge influence on him is Orson Welles. Yeah. And if you watch all his movies, it definitely has that Welles, like, approach that the synergy between the visual and the storyline and the sweeping, you know, dolly shots and all this stuff. So, um, I don't know. This is one of the things I just thought about just now. That's why I said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, anyway. So, should we wrap it? I mean... We can. Is that what you? Is that where you're at? You ready? Yeah, I kind of feel like I don't know anything else to say. Well, yeah, and I guess that is uh, one of the many things about uh, speaking about someone who's such a fucking huge deal. Yeah, yeah. So you can't really cover everything. So, well, so I just wanted to do a quick look because, like I said, I don't know that much Orson Welles. I mean, uh, so just looking at his filmography. You know, after Touch of Evil, well, then I get a lot of these are actually things he starred in. Is what I'm looking at right now. Things like Compulsion, oh. um, Crack in the Mirror. Uh, Have King, you seen these? King of Kings. No, and so I was just trying to say, I'm like, well, maybe there's something he's acted in, but that he didn't make. Because I guess part of the story of his life is uh, starring in things so that he can then take over and direct them. Well, sure. But I mean, so that he can have in his free time, he can make things. So let me look, let me get past the actor. I mean, he was, he acted in 123 things. That's amazing. Long into the eighties was in stuff. Uh, not just the transformers movie, which is, uh, you know, I admit I'm, I'm a Philistine for thinking of that. Okay. So, I mean, so he directed, uh, 48 features. Wow. Um, uh, after Touch of Evil, there's David and Goliath, which it says is uncredited. He directed it, but he was uncredited. As a have you seen that? Have not. Okay. Uh, the Trial, the um, Kafka movie. Um, so I've never seen the Trial. I didn't know that he directed that. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's why people said it. Yeah. There you go. I he's should... not. He's not in it. No. He just directed it. Uh, Chimes at Midnight. Nope. Mm. Few of these are just TV versions of plays, <laughs> but he still directed them. Right. I'm looking for more films. The Deep, uh, F for Fake, 1973. <laughs> wow. That's the famous cover where he's holding the diamond in front of his eye. Yeah, yeah. Criterion put that out. Yeah, I've never seen it. That's something that I really need to give a chance. He had a, a show for a while. Uh, it, yeah, a lot of these are actually plays, but It's All True... 
uh, Don Quixote. Huh. No shit. Yeah. So all that to say, um, like I said, our knowledge is very slight, and I yeah. would really like to it's kind know, of tragic. <laughs> uh, yeah, three cases of murder. So before Touch of Evil, three cases of murder, Mister Arcaden, uh, Othello. Actually, I didn't know about Othello. Yeah. Um, get the stranger. For me, as the, as it was, it was over, and I was thinking about it. I guess it's hard because if you take away Charlton Heston's character, yeah. It's a lot of just bad Mexicans in the movie. <laughs> but it doesn't bother me, I think, because the Orson Welles character, I think his... That's so interesting. Maybe they, maybe they didn't call it this at the time, but it's racist. It's a portrayal of racism yeah. in a way that's not... Overt and just... Uh, well, it's also not... It, well, I was going to say the opposite, that it's not uh, sympathetic. Some uh, portrayals of racism in Hollywood movies was uh-huh. sympathetic, like... You know, some guy calling a black dude boy, and the director's not like, oh, that guy's an asshole. No, it's like, he's yeah, like, that's, no, that's how we talk. Yeah. yeah, that's how it's supposed to do. And this is, again, a very early portrayal of a dude hating. I mean, he basically just hates Mexicans for no reason. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it's very honest. It's very real. Yeah. It's very dirty. You're, you, at no point are you like, oh, that guy's fine. Like, from the moment he shows up you and know gets he's out like of the car, bad news. you're like, yeah. fuck that this dude. This dude sucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, oh, man, if you haven't seen it, I mean, I guess we're not the ones to say, why aren't you watching more Orson Welles movies? But, yeah, because very clearly we haven't seen as many except for <laughs> <laughs> Touch of Evil. But if you haven't seen Touch of Evil, I don't I don't know that I could recommend it enough, especially yeah. if you like... Noirish, d- detective kind yeah, of movies. crime movie. A yeah. movie very much about justice, about doing what's right, yeah, uh, and about how hard that is, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking great movie, man. So good. That's, I mean, like, again, limited knowledge of Orson Welles, notwithstanding, I think that movie is one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. Yeah. I think I can very much, I think we can very much commit to um, returning to Orson Welles with a a little bit more research. Yeah. And and if, what I think would make this conversation better is not just if we watch more movies or if we read a little bit more about his life, but if you are uh, listening to the show and you're an Orson Welles guy, you know about him, you know about his film. Or gal, I'm sorry, that was sexist. right. That was yeah. weird. If you're if you're a fan of Orson Welles of any gender, <laughs> or without gender, please, 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 please hit us up and be like a guest. Come talk to us. Let us know. Yeah. You should school us on this because yeah. it's shameful that we don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think we could we could do another episode. Where we talk about the trial because I've never seen it. Yeah, um, have you read it? No, I don't know. You, know. you don't know anything about the trial. Yo, I don't know anything about Kafka. You period. don't know anything about Franz Kafka? I have like three Kafka You never books read like never Metamorphosis read. or like... Of course I read Metamorphosis. Yeah. Everyone's read Metamorphosis. Country that's Doctor. Not, no, I've never read Country Doctor. Oh my goodness. I, I Kafka was not... Here's the thing. I actually really think anyone's literary education is just based on your teachers. Yeah. I never had a either a teacher in high school or a professor in college that gave a fuck about Kafka. Wow. So they never assigned it. I've read lots of random weird things, yeah. both popular and classic. Missed out on Kafka, other than Metamorphosis, which was yeah, like... everyone had to right, read everyone's got to read my Metamorphosis. Oh, he's a cockroach. I actually, you know? I went to Prague. I went to his house. Oh, wow. Uh, number 22 on the Golden Lane, yeah. Wow. He's pretty... Uh, I, I love Franz Kafka, actually. I would like to delve in a little bit more i just don't i think that the trial is a great place to start because i also think that's like anthony perkins first role 
Yeah. So well, it's funny. Once we once I was looking, I mean, people said it on our Instagram. Yeah. But looking at it just now on IMDb, I was like, oh, I know about this movie. But I just you've didn't. never seen it. No, I've never seen it, dude. We should totally do an episode on that show. Well, well, we'll do we'll do another double. We'll do the trial and something else. Okay, maybe F is for fake. I don't know. Yeah, dude. Um, but again, if you're an Orson Welles fan and you think we should we are, be doing yeah. two other movies or another movie, let us know. Yeah, and you it. should be a guest. Come to our show. Come yeah. talk to us about it. Come school yeah. us on this because again, we don't know enough, and uh, you are you do. So <laughs> come on. We're gonna get we're gonna get like critiquing messages. Oh this man, this is gonna be a weird one. I don't care. I don't give a shit. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> happy to be at the party, buddy. Okay, guys. So uh, that's the end of our discussion on Orson Welles. We're gonna take. <laughs> So, stuff that we're stoked on. Well, so I think it's worth promoting so that you come back next ep- <laughs> next episode. Uh, and I say that not just because the episode is going to be good, but we want you to come to this event. Yes. As you guys know, the Philadelphia Film Fest, it started. It started yeah, it already. on and popping, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, I think uh, a lot of the major events are going to be this weekend. Yeah. But it technically started at Viva Video, who we love. Yeah. And, um, and where is where is what town is that in? Uh, um, Havertown? No, Viva Video is in. Um, uh, where's Sean Agnew from? Oh yeah, um, R five. What's it? Um, Hardmore. Ardmore. Ardmore, yeah. Viva Video and Ardmore started with their uh, um, video massacre event, um, and then there's screening starting this weekend and yeah and it with, goes till the 24th i think is joe bob briggs here on friday i think so yeah so i think joe bob briggs is here is going to be um at the philomoca on friday uh but on sunday 
there's a screening put together by our good friend and supporter of the podcast and host of Loud Fast, Fast Philly, Philly. Uh, and also co-conspirator on Exhumed Films, uh, Joseph Geraci. He's put together a screening of the New Breed documentary. Yeah. Uh, I believe New Breed, it only premiered a few weeks ago at Nighthawk in Brooklyn. Nice. Um, it, if, for those of you who don't know, for the uninitiated, New Breed is a compilation tape that came out in 1986 of uh, various hardcore bands from the New York area that kind of was like the touchstone for what became New York hardcore. Yeah, I mean, I think it was... It's on Spotify. Yeah, I think the reason it matters is because it it marks a transition. Right. New York hardcore in its original sort of uh, manifestation was starting to actually sort of recede a little bit. Um, And uh, what this kind of represents is it coming back. So um, the director, John Woods, is going to be there. And the the guy who put the tape together, yeah, Mr. Freddie Alva, and it sounds like we're gonna get to talk talk to uh, Freddie and uh, John. Yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, for people who know, Freddie Alva is kind of a big deal in that time period of uh, hardcore, hardcore, and he's continued on writing about it, um, featured in a, uh, on a few different websites, and he's done things related to it. And yeah. even now, if you are interested in the New Breed uh, compilation, it's on Spotify. You can also get a vinyl version. I bought a record. I think nice. it was put out by Lush Life, who also did that. Right. They're the one who put it out on Spotify, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they also, recent, not that long ago, did the Absolution discography, yeah. um, which I also picked up. So... Uh, a, you should come to that event. It's on Sunday night. I'm, I look After that, there are two movies that are scheduled that our friend of the podcast, Mr. Matt Garrett, has sure. put together as well. So, so Philomoka, Sunday at 7.30. We're going to be there a little early to, to record an episode. So first off, come to the event. Second off, if you're someone who can't come to the event or you can and you want to know more, we're going to have this interview. It should be really great. We're really excited about it. And big thanks to Joseph for, for letting us out. be a part of it. And to Philomoka for letting us do it in their space. Yeah. Yeah. Eric Bresler is the best. Uh, also, side note, Blowfish Bakery is going to be there with treats. If you're like, oh, I want to go to this thing, but I want to eat some baked goods. Guess what? <laughs> you're in luck. Yeah. But I think, I mean, it, you know. If you're someone who doesn't know about the New Breed documentary, this is something you should probably know about. So yeah. look it up, listen to it. It's going to be it awesome. Um, also, look at the rest of the f- programming for the Philadelphia Film Festival. There are so many weird and eclectic things. And if you come for the final nights, they will be screening a little movie entitled Undercover Cop 2 that sure. yours truly, Joshua Alvarez, stars in as a priest. What? I know. It's so wild. Um. You know, we actually, that was, a, I just remembered this was originally going to be what we were going to do on this episode is talk about the Philadelphia Film Fest. Yeah, we didn't, well, I mean. We can, we can do that right now. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. What it's, else What else are you excited about related there's to There's a vivisection stuff? screening. Uh, again, friend of the podcast, Matt Garrett, is high that, school friend of mine. Is that on, you said that was on um, Sunday night? I think I don't know what night that one's on actually, because Matt has three movies in that are that you know. If you know Matt, if you listen to us, you know, you know that's how we do. Like he's our guy. He he likes a lot of stuff that we like, and he puts on a lot of stuff that we enjoy. So check him out. So let's start. Let's start actually here. Thursday, okay, April seventh, seven thirty p.m. 
opening night event, an evening with Joe Bob Briggs. The legendary TV host, author, and film critic will host a retrospective talk on his career, followed by a screening of The Warriors as shown on Monster Vision. What? If you've never watched Monster Vision, I really feel bad for you. Like That was a part of my childhood. Yeah, like, that that's was shit, an man. important thing. So um, you should definitely come out to that. Plus, I mean, The Warriors. You can't. And really Joe Bob that. Briggs. Do you guys know who Joe Bob Briggs is? Yeah. I mean, come on. Um, there's a few things after that. I'm. I just. They're not. There's... The Chickagogo thing's a big deal. I don't know if yeah. that's sold out yet. The Dead Milkmen are playing. Chickagogo was a cha- children's dance party TV show that was on public access TV in Philadelphia. Yeah, and uh, that's going to be pretty wild. I'm quite sure. Oh, uh, so the movie that's specifically after the New Breed documentary event is Dead Hands Dig Deep, a yep. documentary on the notori- notorious lead singer of 1990s extreme metal group Kettle Cadaver. I don't care about Kettle Cadaver. I think that band is actually bad, <laughs> but the documentary looks awesome, and I don't think I need to be a Kettle Cadaver fan to appreciate the documentary. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, let me see. What else is good on here? So on Wednesday, April 13th, uh, I'm very interested in the director's commentary of Terror Frankenstein. Uh, the producer of Room 237 directs this experimental presentation of a little-known 1977 Frankenstein film with a new fictional commentary track. I'm kind of stoked on that. <laughs> um, then I think uh, I think uh, Desire Will Set You Free on Thursday, April 14th looks interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, true story set in Berlin's modern queer underground featuring guest appearances from Nina Hagen, Peaches, and uh, I. Uh, how do you say that? Knee button? Yeah. What's the first part? Einstrzende. Uh, I knew. See, I was like, I know Josh will know how to say this. <laughs> and I don't know how to say this. <laughs> yeah, so Chickagogo is April 16th. That also looks really good. Uh, what's the other thing I was particularly <laughs> stoked on? Again, Saturday, April 23rd, Undercover Cops 2, Anonymous Cop. It's written by a uh, now 13-year-old uh, Philomoka mainstay, Mr. Uh, Sean, Lil Sean. Lil Sean. And uh, I don't know if you guys know, last year at, film, at the Film Fest, uh, they premiered Undercover Cops. Lil Sean is a dude who just hangs out at the Philomoka and is part of our crew over there. And uh, his dad is a police officer, and he tells all these crazy stuff to Sean, and then Sean recounts these stories that Eric at Filmoka has just written down and then filmed yeah. with all the interns of Filmoka. So uh, the sequel is an all-star cast, yeah, including uh, Dan Scully of uh, I Like to Movie Movie and uh, Garrett Smith and uh, just a bunch of like people. Charles Smith III is in it. Um, it's a bunch of people in there yeah. that will make you smile if you are uh, a part of uh, our little film community here. Thursday, April 21st, is a double feature, both of which look pretty great. One is a movie called Under the Shadow. Uh, Friends of mine who were at Sundance said Under the Shadow is one of those movies everyone was talking about after seeing it. Uh, A family in Tehran deals with random bombings in a haunted apartment amidst the final days of the Iran-Iraq war. Wow. Uh, And then a movie that did pretty well at Fantastic Fest last year, Dare Bunker. Uh, a student attempts to live alongside a troubled family in an isolated bunker in this heavily stylistic German oddity. For what I understand, it's like a dark comedy, like a really fucked up dark comedy, yeah. if it was directed by Wes Anderson. Wow. Yeah. All right, I'm in. Friday, April 22nd. This is one I'm particularly excited about, Sympathy for the Devil. 
uh-huh. a star-studded, detailed history of the process church of the final judgment. Whoa. Um, if heavy. You, if you are a integrity fan, then you know <laughs> that the process church of the final judgment uh, is involved in some of the mythology around um, humanity's the devil. Humanity's the devil and all that. So that's yeah. worth checking out. And then this is to me a huge deal. Friday, April twenty second. After that movie, the ten thirty screening is the Philadelphia premiere of Chasing Banksy. Now, I'm not a big Banksy fan, but uh, this is from cult director Frank Henenlotter. Yeah, who you Frank might know from Frankenhooker, Basket Case. Yeah, uh, recently uh, talked about in hard business, brain damage. Um, <laughs> he's going to be there. That's going to be amazing. He's in attendance. So even if you don't care about Banksy. Or if you do care about Banksy, you should definitely, definitely care about checking out uh, Frank Henenlotter. Uh Yeah, so those are all the things I think I'm the most excited for. I probably I'm I'm weighing going to the the final thing is a evening with David the Rock Nelson, um, Zach Carlson, who uh, yeah, lots of people know who he is. Also, <laughs> retrospective chat with Ed Wood of the 21st Century Chicago area monster movie fanatic David the Rock Nelson, um, Zach Carlson. Who, let me think how people... I don't think I know him. He wrote the um, Destroy All Movies book. Oh. He was a longtime programmer. In fact, he, I think he invented Weird Wednesday. At, nice, at, uh, at Austin. Yeah, at the Alamo. Uh, he's known for being a VHS guy and a film history guy. and a, Nice. Just a dude who loves weird shit, and people appreciate that aesthetic. That's awesome. So yeah, uh, there's probably other things we could be hyping right now, but I really think... At this moment, since we're about to be in the midst of it, Philadelphia Film Fest is the thing. That's the thing you check should check it about. out. Yeah. Check also, out. Uh, April fourteenth, I'll be playing at Ortlieb's. Oh right. It is the tape release for uh, the Easy Creatures, which is uh, ex members of Walleye, and uh, it is also the first show of uh, Mike DC from Damnation AD's new band, Dead Black Empty. So I do like that Dead Black Empty demo. Yeah, it's. Gonna be sick. Also, yeah. um, another band called Part Filth is playing, which is ex-members of Kill Verona. So if you're into being old and uh, talking about how much you used to love seeing hardcore shows, <laughs> this is the show to attend. So there you go. Come out. All right. Hey, uh, thank you for listening. Thank uh, you so much. And oh, I wanted to do a quick shout out to uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Yes. I'm wearing one of your shirts right now. but more, And he looks good. <laughs> but more importantly, they're printing our new uh, shirts and limited edition barf bags, which For will be X-Fest. available at X-Fest. Um, but I just really appreciate them and their willingness to try weird shit with us. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot for listening. Smoke bomb.